Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. From the Gert Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. Repeating experiments and replicating results are key parts of successful scientific research. But in the field of robotics, working with different software platforms on different machines means that replication can be difficult. So now, with the help of a new $5 million federal grant, scientists at Oregon State University are going to build and distribute 50 standardized robots throughout the research community. They'll be used to help study how humans interact with robots. Bill Smart is a professor in OSU's robotics program and one of the leaders of this project, and he joins us now. It's good to have you on the show. Hey, Dave. I gave the short version of Quarry. Can you give us the the fuller one? What's the big idea behind Quarry? So the the main idea is it's pretty much what you said. Um, This is a a project that builds on a previous project from the University of Southern California and the University of Pennsylvania, where they designed and built a small number of these robots that are being used to investigate human-robot interaction, you know, how robots and humans can work together um, effectively. And the our award is to take that initial set of results and build more robots, distribute them to a whole bunch of places, a whole bunch of research groups in the US, and then have that sort of common hardware platform. So just as you said, so that I can replicate someone else's experiments, make sure the results hold and uh, try and move a little bit more from engineering, just building a thing and doing an experiment once to a science where we can replicate and maybe falsify experiments. Hmm. How has the core, Corey is, is the name for this, this robot model. How has it changed since it was first envisioned and built? So the the first iteration of it was sort of interesting in that the 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 project that um, designed it actually reached out to human robot interaction uh, researchers across the country and asked them if you had a, a standard robot what would you what would you want on it you know would you want it to look sort of humanoid would you want arms would you want a head and it used input from that in the original design. And so what that ended up with is uh, sort of a humanoid-looking robot, about four and a half feet tall. It's got a head. It's got two very simple arms. It's got wheels. It doesn't have legs. And that hasn't changed much since that initial design. But what we're going to do with this this follow-on project is take some of the lessons learned, um, You know, maybe the design of the arms. Uh, right now, they don't have elbows. So maybe we'll put elbows in them, maybe maybe make some other modifications based on the feedback that we get from the, the small number of people who've got it right now so that it can be more useful for that larger group. My understanding is that the quarries can bow at the waist. Why include that as a, a functionality? Um, so there's always a tension between how simple your robot is and how expensive it is. So... Um, if you were to build a robot with a lot of well, what we call degrees of freedom, a lot of joints, then it gets pretty expensive because those joints are, you know, building those joints, installing those joints is expensive. And so you, you try to pick uh, the smallest number of joints that you can where they're useful. And it turns out that in, um, in t- when you're interacting with people, 
having a joint at your waist is pretty useful. Um, certainly in Asian cultures where bowing is a big part of social interaction, you can imagine that a, a robot that's able to do that is important. But even um, even in the US, like changing the height of your head as you're leaning into people and listening to them or doing the, the, those little physical motions that uh, that help grease the conversation. It turns out that the, the waist joint was something that a lot of people wanted 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 and uh, wanted to see if it was effective in helping these com- these interactions. I was really intrigued by the way that the um, that quarry has been designed to allow for a whole variety of facial expressions without, say, eyebrows on motors. Can you describe the way the projection is going to work? Yeah, so the you can think of Corey's head sort of as um, a fishbowl uh, with a projector inside it, and so we can project um, facial features on the the inside of this uh, this ball shaped head, and you can see them from the outside. and And the advantage of that is, if you were to put a let's say a mouth on the robot mechanically and then have it open and close then first of all, that's quite expensive, but it's also quite slow. Um, a lot of robot motors don't operate as fast as your joints operate. And so we could move things around on the face, eyebrows or or the mouth, but it wouldn't be as fast as responsive. By projecting it on, you get most of the feeling of a face and facial expressions, but you can do it much faster. And you can also change the shape of the mouth, change the shape of the eyes, change the shape of the eyebrows, much more simply if it's a projection than if it's uh, like real physical hardware. Another um, either you can call this a limitation or just a, a design decision is that um, Quarry, it, it's not engineered to hold things. The point is not to have it bring you right. a cup of coffee. What 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 will it do? I mean, what are possible um, scenarios where this kind of robot could interact with a human? Yeah. So the, the main purpose of Quarry is to try and figure out what parts of human-human psychology and social interaction carry across to human-robot interaction? So you can imagine, um, you know, when you when you first meet someone, there's sort of a comfortable distance you stand from them, and you know, maybe you 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 don't quite face them directly. You make a certain amount of eye contact. Um, so a lot of the stuff that we do naturally as humans, there's an open question of like, if a robot were to do those behaviors. How you know should it? Will, will it get the same effect as a another human doing it with you? So humans have a comfortable distance they stand. How far away from you should a robot stand when it's interacting with you? How much do you or, or other scientists who have already been studying human robot interactions? How much can you already answer that particular question? It's it, it's a fascinating one to me of just the the comfort distance. Right. What, I mean, what do you already know? So there's a lot of work in this, and it's kind of um, most, what's the right way to put this? I think a lot of the human-human social interaction rules kind of apply to humanoid-like robots. So if the robot's about the size of a human, it should stand about as far away from you as a human should stand to make you feel comfortable. Um, And I think part of that is because 
our response to people standing at a certain distance or acting a certain way is very like baked into our brains. You know, humans are very social animals. And so we're, we're evolved to expect certain um, interactions from the things we interact with because we've only ever interacted with humans before. So it kind of makes sense that the robots will have a similar um, set of rules. But it seems like you said an important piece there, if it's a humanoid robot. I mean, yeah. because if the, the the less something is like a human, is it fair to say the less we would expect the, the same, the, the existing social rules to necessarily apply? So I, th- I think that's an interesting question because we we have um, machinery in our brains to recognize these social signals. Like, uh, when someone looks at you or when someone stands a certain distance from you. And I think there, it's an open question of how much of that carries across to robots that are very much not humanoid. And so there's some work that, that says if you have a, a robot arm, just a disembodied arm that gives you, you know, hands off a package to you. Uh, that handoff is going to be more effective if you put a pair of eyes on that arm. Wait, because uh, eyes handing, on, on the arm, not not eyes on a head next to a torso that the arm is attached to, but eyes on the arm. Well, it, it kind of works both ways. Um, if there's some sort of visible eyes that are connected with the robot, it could be on the arm, it could be next to the arm, or part of a larger system. But when we're handing stuff between humans, there's this interaction that we do. You know, you make eye contact, your hand does a you know a certain set of motions, and you're kind of evolved to expect that. And so, if you can replicate that on an arm, a robot arm that's giving you stuff, you'll drop the package, you'll fumble the handoff less. And so I think there's an, an interesting set of questions there of how much of that expected human social stuff is baked into our brains and we should be taking advantage of, even for robots that aren't humanoid. You mentioned that in some Asian cultures, um, bowing is is much more embedded in, in daily life than in, in, in many Western cultures. How much... Do cultural differences make their way into our interactions with robots? So I think right now they 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 don't make a um, there isn't a lot of a lot of cultural specificity in the robots that are out there. Uh, but one of the things that's really exciting about having a common platform like this is we can do an experiment. Let's say on the West Coast, we can do it on the East Coast of the U.S. If we manage to get some robots into other countries, we can start doing those cross-cultural experiments to see if, you know, people stand at different distances um, in different cultural settings or if people on the East Coast, you know, walk faster towards a robot than on the West Coast. (laughs) Greet their their robot overlords um, in in a faster way. Right. Well, I I think we've... There's this feeling in the field that there are going to be cultural differences, you know, both within the U.S. and you know across different countries. And I think having a common hardware platform where you can do the same experiment as much as you can in different places really lets us dig into um, doing science around that and actually figuring it out for real. We're talking at a time when um, a lot of for-profit companies are all racing to to figure out the, the, the best AI um, so they can make more money for their shareholders. Is there a tension between 
for-profit robotics companies and this open source, you know, scientific or academic side where the whole point of this is let's all work on this together so we can all learn more together. Yeah, I'm not sure I would call it attention. Um, I think, you know, if you're a for-profit company, you're obviously trying to develop a product and, and sell it. And so the you, your goals are different. I think the the open source research community is more interested in answering these these very fundamental questions of interaction rather than driving towards a you know a specific product or a specific end use. What are you most excited to to be able to learn um, as as these quarries are produced? Fifty of them going all over the country in the coming years, and and with robot scientists studying human robot interactions. What are you most excited to learn? I. I guess I guess I'm most excited to see what people will do with them. Um, you know, beyond the you know the simple experiments that we talked about right now, maybe more maybe more than the science. What I'm what really motivates me about this project is the the prospect of bringing together scientists and students from all over the U.S. and building a community of people who are who are thinking about this, and then taking you know work from one lab. And then replicating it in another lab and building on the work of others, uh, because I think when you have these networks of people working on the same problems, same set of problems on the same hardware, where they can really collaborate at a, a meaningful level, then you you see a lot of progress a lot more quickly than individual labs working on single things. So I think it's the people part of it that really motivates me, the network part of it. Bill Smart, thanks very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks very much, Dave. Bill Smart is a professor in the robotics program at Oregon State University, and he's one of the leaders of a project to build and distribute standardized robots that will help researchers better understand the interactions between humans and robots.